1: Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we've got our roundup of the news. I'm here with lead producer Sonia Cho Swanson and newsletter editor Scott Dickensheets, and we're going to talk about the Mirage Dolphins. Are they still around? Why Nevada is a child care desert and the higher speed rail line that seemingly took one more baby step closer to becoming reality, or is it still fantasy? <music> It's Friday, February 17th, 2023. I'm David Figler, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Hey, good morning, Sonia Cho Swanson.
2: Good morning.
1: And Scott Dickenshades. Hey, buddy. Howdy, David. Oh, hey, hey, hey. So, so much in the air in Las Vegas and elsewhere. You know, I was looking at all the stories about the flying objects and the aliens, and I know that somehow this is going to come back to Las Vegas. But today, (laughs) we're going to talk about maybe the aliens' friends in the water, the dolphins. Sonia, what's going on with the Mirage Dolphins?
2: Yeah, they're they're on their way out. So actually, speaking of aliens, I want to make a very obscure reference. So long and thanks for all the fish. Ring a bell, anyone?
1: Oh, yes. Yes, we, we're we all geeks here. Come Great.
2: on. Great. So in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the dolphins are actually the most sentient species on the planet. And after a while, they're just done with how much humans have effed up the planet. And they <laughs> hop on their own spaceship and they leave Earth. And their last note to humans is, so long and thanks for all the fish. And we have a mini version of that here in Las Vegas. The last of the Mirage Dolphins are being shipped off to SeaWorld from whence they originally came. Apparently, they were first on loan from SeaWorld. The Dolphins have faced some tough stuff over the last few years. Dana Gentry wrote the Nevada Current reports that since the exhibit at the Mirage opened in 1991, 11 have died at an average of about 8 years old. And, and we know that dolphin expectancy in the wild is about 30 to 50 years. Oof. So uh, yeah, it's been kind it's been kind of rough. Most notably, three dolphins died within six months at the end of 2022. So there's a lot of heated outcry over those deaths. There was a lot
1: of outcry, but do we know a lot of facts? I mean, was there any allegations of, like, that they weren't being treated right or that it just wasn't the right place for them? I didn't even know they came from SeaWorld. Is that a new revelation?
2: It was, I believe, a press release from the president of the Mirage, Joe Lupo, who said that they are returning the dolphins to SeaWorld, and SeaWorld had originally loaned these dolphins to the Mirage Dolphin Habitat. So that's where that information comes from. As for how the dolphins have been treated... I mean, advocates around the world have said that any dolphins in captivity anywhere is bad for them. Dolphins travel 80 miles a day in the wild. They have these really complex social lives and and you could even say cultures. So is keeping dolphins in a, you know, tiny tank in the middle of a casino hotel going to give them the quality of life that they would have had otherwise? There are arguments on both sides. Others say that they're safe from predators and so forth. I did talk to a dolphin expert. I was doing some pre-interviews of, uh, a couple months ago. One expert did not want to go on the record, but did say that we should look into the fact that high winds in Las Vegas are an issue.
1: I mean, that's almost interesting why she wouldn't want to go on the record. What do you think her hesitation about talking about the dolphins might have been?
2: I think it was because she hadn't done any of the investigations herself and oh. because she hadn't seen any of them firsthand but it was sort of word on the street in the dolphin community was. <laughs>
0: in the that, dolphin community.
2: I know, the dolphin community. But this was, you know, the the researchers who who talk in their chatter is that high winds may have brought in debris into tanks and, and, and affected maybe what the dolphins were breathing or were exposed to some of the debris and dust that we see stirred up all the time with our high winds in Las Vegas.
1: Sure. I mean, I could... I can imagine there's tons of hypotheses, and, you know, I, I always expect a scandal to to break out. That seems to be the Vegas way. And speaking of the Vegas way, Scott, what what do you think the Vegas take on this is, the, the resort take on having attractions like this, and do you think that they are on firm ground or wet ground?
0: That's
2: a great question.
0: <laughs> well, I think they're on damp ground. I mean, obviously, <laughs> you know, you don't hear a lot of outcry about let's, let's return the sharks to the sea, right? But we feel some sort of kinship or some sort of attraction to dolphins in a way that we don't towards a lot of other animals that are routinely kept here for entertainment purposes. Mm. But I will say that, you know, anytime you you subject an animal to, you know, the mechanics of Vegas spectacle, you're not doing it any favors. I mean, it's not what that animal was bred to be and to do. So when it comes to something like dolphins, I mean, there's this complicated calculation of like, In exchange for a heightened tourist experience, what is the damage being done to those individuals of that species? And, you know, Vegas sort of probably puts its thumb on the scale a little bit in the favor of spectacle. But in fact, I think a lot of us believed from the get-go that dolphins in the desert was a dicey
1: idea. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it it is a complicated arena when we talk about animals, whether they're circus animals. Uh, animals that were performing at various hotels in acts. We know that groups like PETA have gone undercover and provided video, and there have been these scandals with the keeping of all sorts of wildlife. Google Bobby Oh, Or don't. Or do. (laughs) For sure. Wait,
2: who's that? Bobby
1: Barasini, famous uh, orangutan wrangler who was a, a mainstay, him and his father, on the Las Vegas Strip for decades and decades, and then PETA went undercover and there were videos of Bobby Barressini apparently, if you look at the videos, although he had a defense, beating those animals pretty mercilessly.
0: Wow.
1: It, it was involved in a lot of litigation. There were his libel suits back and forth. But the bottom line is that Bobby Barasini is not a known name anymore for a lot of reasons.
2: Yeah. Was it the 90s? Yeah. Wow. Early 90s, Scott?
1: Something like that. Yeah. A
0: long time ago. Hmm. Yeah. But I mean, I, the point being that there's a long history of you know this sort of dicey interplay between nature's creatures and and tourists.
2: I mean, I think it's pretty safe to argue that the desert is not a great environment for <laughs> these ocean creatures. But I don't I don't think I'm full on against the idea of incorporating live animals into some sort of entertainment or spectacle. I'll give you an example. I went to an incredible wild bird sanctuary in Malaysia. And it was massive and it was tropical and it was beautiful. And these were all birds that were native to that area. Why don't we incorporate some more of our native flora and fauna into some of these attractions where these animals have a better chance at thriving? We can showcase the splendors of the Mojave.
1: Come pet a coyote
0: at the Bellagio. I don't know how many <laughs> tickets you'd sell to Siegfried and Roy's Coyote and Horny Toad
1: Garden.
2: Darn it. Yeah, you're probably right. But it's, I, I would buy a ticket.
1: Oh, so would I. Those are my favorite animals. Well, (laughs) let's just hope that Vegas, in its
2: never-ending
1: endeavor to create more and more spectacle and get more and more people to come here, gets a little more thoughtful in who it impacts, including our friends of the four-legged and fishy varieties. Yes. Well, I'm sure the strip will move on to robots anyway. There we go. All right. Las Vegas is a desert in a lot of ways. We talk about food deserts. We talk about other types of deserts. And now we're talking about a child care desert. A new state report tells us that because there is such a high demand for child care, nearly 75% of kids ages five and younger don't even have access to a licensed provider. Hmm. And so we have a task force because that is the nevada way we form a work group under a task force to do a report to give suggestions that go to the legislature and that's exactly what's happening right now after they do Uh, an audit of course after well an audit's part of it so the governor's workforce development board is considering this 128 page child care policy report from their child care working group i did a little bit of deep dive into why nevada like in so many unfortunate areas, especially as it relates to our youth, is struggling. And it is a complicated mess. We got so much money from like ARPA funds and there's federal block grants and things like that, specifically for childcare. There are lots of programs for people to be able to apply for childcare. There are incentive programs to get people into doing childcare as a vocation. You can do it professionally or you could do it through friends and family. There's a lot of bureaucracy. Not a lot of people are taking advantage of it. And I think that one of the big, big issues here is workforce, that mm-hmm. there's just not enough certified or qualified childcare providers to offer that affordable service, let alone that service at all. So why does Las Vegas keep finding itself in these situations? And what do you think some of the recommendations for enhancing the access to child care are coming our way?
0: I mean, I'm not an economist, so I don't know all the mechanics of it. But clearly, one thing you're talking about is like, what we're going to pay the people who take care of children. And I don't know about you guys, but I've spent a lot of time around kids, and they are a handful. <laughs> they are a pain in the ass. And that's just mine.
2: Should we quote that to your, to your wife?
0: <laughs> oh, I'm quoting her. Okay. Yeah, there you go. And this is nothing I haven't said to the kids. But I will say that,
1: so imagine, you know, sort of overseeing a room full yeah. and for minimum wage, Come on. Yeah. I mean, it's all all sides of the equation, right? I mean, and and I'm being cheeky about capitalism because God knows it's the greatest thing since democracy. Wait. (laughs) But um, no, seriously, people are paying such a percentage of their income. So they're working just to be able to pay for their kids to be taken care of so they could work. And it's just this vicious, vicious cycle. And then the people that they're paying are not getting paid enough. And so we don't have enough people doing it. I mean, this just seems like a morass that I don't know how how Nevada is suited to solving this issue. (laughs) And, you know, we want to get more people working. And so child care is a barrier to that. So we it, this is a crisis because we want to get more people working They have their kids taken care of as opposed to, oh, I don't know, give parents more paid leave or paid sure. leave at all yeah. to take care of their kids or supplement or augment it in ways that are part of that package.
2: There are countries that do actually pay parents to stay home and take care of their children like Finland and South Korea. So that's that's not off the table.
1: I, th- I mean, I think one possibility that's been
0: talked about is somehow incentivizing businesses to have it on-site childcare mm. that probably shows some promise depending on the setup of your of your business certainly in a small office it probably wouldn't work but in a larger area a larger business where you might have a dedicated space for that it could work
2: you know actually so the state treasurer's office started a program that allows its workers to bring their babies to work which is getting a lot of positive feedback from their staff so far. The treasurer's office is small. It's only about four dozen employees. So this is a small experiment. But, you know, let's let's see how this tracks over the next year or two. And then maybe we'll see it spread to other departments in the government. And with that experience in place, perhaps lawmakers will be inspired to put something into our legal framework to support working mothers.
1: I mean, it just it does seem both enlightening and sad that, like, parents have to have their babies with them while they're making money and that we aren't figuring out ways to take care of it. Scott, you and your wife raised a brood in the <laughs> 80s and 90s. What do you remember about navigating child care?
0: Well, it, in, a, in a way, this sort of highlights the problems with the system. We were incredibly fortunate enough to have a family friend who, for all of the years that our kids uh, needed child care would watch them every day for, like, a buck an hour per kid. Wow. Which listeners are probably falling out of their chairs at the thought of that. Well, back then, you could buy a car for $5. So. <laughs> that, that's true. We are talking, like, nineteen ninety dollars here. And she was incredibly, like, flexible and tolerant and a very good person, and we trusted her implicitly. But without that, it would have been very difficult for both my wife and I to hold down jobs.
2: Yeah, mm. part of the state's goal in getting better child care is to help get more women into the workforce, right? We know that we are having a huge issue right now with understaffed institutions, whether it's your local restaurant or, you know, our unemployment office, right? There was a Claremont McKenna study a few years ago that actually broke down a bunch of numbers and showed that states that have the most expensive child care and shortest school days have the lowest shares of women working. And these are quote unquote, liberal states like California, Oregon, and Washington that have the highest, most expensive childcare and lowest shares of women working. Nevada is actually pretty close to those numbers. I think Nevada was down there at about 43% of women who are working full time. So when childcare costs go down, then more women can get up and get into the workforce.
1: Um, Also, before we go, I want to say that the state of Nevada has a lot of these monies and they're trying to help families, all sorts of families, not just the lowest income families. And, and it seems like it's split in two there's the children's cabinet which is a nonprofit, which is really up north and then down south here the las vegas urban league the children's cabinet has a more accessible website i would suggest going there because it has all the information and following up the las vegas urban league i also understand the children's cabinet is now forming a presence down in southern nevada mm. it'll be interesting to see if these task force look at these providers to make sure they're being the most effective or add additional ones. But if you are someone who is in need of child care or suffering because of the cost and burden of child care, you definitely want to either go check out the Las Vegas Urban League or the Children's Cabinet, which is at www.childrenscabinet.org. Mm. And put your faith in the working group because they'll figure it all out. Yeah. <laughs> working groups do so good work. Sometimes. All right, let's change focus. Brightline West is the most recent in a chain of entities that have sworn that they're about to bring a passenger train at a high speed from Southern California into Las Vegas. And apparently they are one baby step closer to fruition. What's going on with that one, Scott? Uh, Well, the baby step you're talking about is
0: an agreement they've struck with the state of California to build three wildlife crossings over I-15. This rail line will run up the median of I-15 for at least much of its course. And so these bridges, if, if you will, these wide passages over the freeway facilitate animals, wildlife moving back and forth uh, and staying out of, out of harm's way. That was apparently a crucial step towards getting the, you know, the approvals they need in California to complete their project. All three of these will be in San Bernardino County, one at Zizek's Road, a couple farther along. And certainly I'm in favor of, you know, facilitating the escape from San Bernardino any way we can. Um, (laughs) And less traffic on the I-15 any way we can. I mean, for real. Oh, God, yeah. But one thing that's interesting to me in reading the coverage of this is, I this this is presented as a step forward, but all the surrounding copy is, this is like an $8 billion project. And so much of the financing seems to be talked about in a future speculative tense, like uh-huh. there's grants they can apply for from the federal government. There's bonds that they can get and resell at a higher value. So it seems like a lot of the money is still on the table. Speculative? Is that the word you're using? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the money is still set aside somewhere, huh. uh, and is conceptually accrued to the project but does not appear to be in their hands yet. I'm sure it's all a matter of accounting and, and paperwork, but it's interesting to me in the sense that, as David alluded to, this is an idea that's been batted about for a long time. I think going back to the 70s, to be honest. Right. And so it's interesting to me that, you know, the idea of what counts as progress and yet what is yet still to be done.
2: I think Las Vegas at this point are kind of jaded. It's like we have that... uh absentee dad who's promised to take us to Disneyland so many times, <laughs> always said is uh, going show up on the train, bring us the train. With clowns and balloons and ice cream, yeah. baby. That's right. Keeps letting us down. You know, I, I think I feel like Las Vegas are kind of jaded.
1: Tears to um, the pillow.
2: Yeah. Right. So, David, I got to ask, like, why has it been so damn hard for us to get a train? And will these same problems hobble Brightline West?
1: I mean, I imagine that the short answer is money, money, money. It's always money. But by the same token.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It's
1: it's not an easy route to do. You know, there's mountains and desert and stuff, you know, in between here and there. And it's always kind of a shorter route. Hmm. I used to have a joke that I would tell people about high-speed rail train coming to Las Vegas, but no one west of Victorville would ever get it.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, dad jokes. Although... They say the Bright Line West is supposed to get into L.A. proper. so yeah, That's we'll what they say. That. I mean, yeah.
1: well, look, we're all jaded about it. Everyone rolls their eyes like this is never going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And then the new company comes up and go, no, we got it. I think one of the biggest problems is the transparency of the actual checklist. Like, are the boxes being checked? I don't think anyone knew about this animal bridge box. And this isn't like they just created three animal bridges. That would be to me a sign of progress. Agreeing to make the animal bridges seems like a precursor to another step for progress, Uh right? Yes, we promised to do that. Okay, was that not part of it before? So that's a new thing and you're like not balking at it, but you're also not building it. So I, I would love to see Brightline's actual checklist. Here's what we need to do. We have $1 $1 billion in our bank account, uh, you know, random number. Sure. We need seven more. You know, we think we're going to get it here. And here's when we got it. Check, check, check. Like, I yeah. don't know how it works. I mean, maybe I'm oversimplifying a giant engineering project that costs $8 what? billion. Dollars, nah. <laughs> possibly. But I, I would like to see what the actual moving forward steps are. I, I feel a little cheated when they go another step forward and it's just mm-hmm. an agreement to do something that they haven't even started doing yet. That mm. seemed wah-wah. Scott wah-wah.
0: Yeah, there 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 are a few sad trumpets in this scenario, just because, Aww. again, like you like you say, it is all it's all notional right now.
2: Scott, you know, what? I remember in your newsletter a few weeks back, you actually had an item about a SoCal called Vegas train that existed. Was it like a hundred years ago, eighty years ago? We <laughs> we had a train, didn't we?
1: We had a train. <laughs> well,
0: yeah, it was um, it was back in what we call the twentieth century when we could you know do things <laughs> like.
1: Put a what man on that? the moon and things we can't do any longer.
2: Oh, the mythical fast. Well, let's not forget Las
1: Vegas started with a train.
2: Okay, fair. <laughs> That's true. Yes, you're right. Okay. You're right. But in terms of a, a you know a commuter rail between the established hubs of Las Vegas and and Southern California, something existed.
0: Right. It started in 1956, if I if I remember correctly, and it was called the train was called the City of Las Vegas, hmm. and it was a back and forth to L.A. And it lasted with decreasing frequency over time until they pulled the plug in the late 60s sometime. I think ridership was just declining. But they proved it could be done. And when we talk all about high-speed rail and stuff now, it's interesting that the city of Las Vegas started with what was considered an experimental GE train back in 1956. And I guess what it was experimental about it was it needed a booster engine to get over Cajon Pass. So oh. they eventually switched to a more conventional style of locomotive. But perhaps the market just wasn't ready for it or something back in the day. But I think there are enough, hopefully there are enough people. I mean, Brightline is talking about 6 million people right out of the gate, ramping yeah. up to by 2044, I think, is the farthest ridership projections they have. And, you know, having like, I think, 11 or 12 million riders uh, over the, in a year. So
2: Well, if you've ever made the mistake of, driving on the I-15 South on a Sunday afternoon. Woo, that's rough.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think people will, I mean, they're talking about it taking 3 million cars off the road. But again, but this is, as David said, the point David made about the agreements to do things that haven't been done. You know, I think the same thing applies to 3 million cars off the road. That's just math. That's somebody's computer modeling. But who knows how many cars it'll actually get off the road. And if it does, then I-15 will be much more drivable and might just might take my car <laughs> because they're talking about the train trip taking three hours. It's not that much longer to drive it.
1: So Yeah, about an mm-hmm. hour, hour and a half difference. So not really high speed like depends you know. on who's driving David. Yeah, true <laughs> true that. Certainly not me. I'm I'm old old man behind the wheel honk honk way you in the left lane. I do wonder though why we keep calling it high speed rail when it just seems to be slightly faster.
2: Slightly faster, I'll take it.
1: I think we're just used to we're just used to that. we're not I mean because we are not talking about like bullet trains right. like in in Japan or whatever right, where, right, where right. they're very prominent. We've all just internalized their marketing talking points. I we know. Have. Oh, yeah. we are. We are susceptible.
2: We are the kid waiting for dad to take us to <laughs> Disneyland after all. We are still sitting on the stoop, you guys.
1: I mean, I would love for Brightline to be like, we told you so. But yeah. I really think that Twitter is going to have its field day if this thing falls apart with the uh, another giant eye roll. Will it ever happen? I know a lot of people want to make it a priority. And this one's it always like, this one seems like it might actually, th- this time it might work, said Charlie Brown to Lucy holding the football. Oh. Well, well, if
0: it does fall apart, I hope they build the animal bridges first.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Let's get those animal bridges. Let's keep those. It fall apart <laughs> after that. But let's get the animal, the wildlife passageways built. So let's try to end on a more cheery thing. We've got a three-day weekend coming up with President's Day. Scott, what do you got planned for the weekend?
0: Oh, I don't know. That's that's a good
1: question. I mean, President's Day weekend, I think, I think Abe Lincoln would want me to stay home and read. Uh, I was going to say, maybe you're going to stay home and celebrate your favorite president of all time, Chester A. Arthur. I know <laughs> that's your favorite. William Henry Harrison. He only lasted 32 days. That's all he needed. That's all he needed. How about you, Sonia?
2: Well, I'm going to stay home. Bit of a homebody, as per usual. But... Uh, It actually also happens to be the Great Backyard Bird Count. So this week from February 17th to 20th, you can help the Audubon Society and the Cornell Bird Lab count the birds in your neck of the woods. Go to birdcount.org and just spend 15 to 20 minutes hanging out in your backyard and looking at all the birds you see and helping record them for, you know, citizen science.
1: Well, I'm glad our winged friends got in on the animal conversation today. Yeah. So you're going to be birding in your backyard.
2: That's right. All right. I
1: might go down to the Oscar statue and count the pigeons.
2: <laughs> are you feeding the pigeons and enticing the pigeons <laughs> to come to the Oscar statues? Are you drawing <laughs> little
1: targets No, that's that Oscar's yeah. martini class? That would, be, that would
0: be too much of a political statement for me, uh, Sonia. So I will just... Okay.
2: Okay. David, what about you? What are you up to this weekend?
1: Well, I was hoping to go to Sunset Park this weekend to celebrate the Pokemon Go tour. What? <laughs> but I gave up Pokemon Go recently. Like Why? not a long time ago. It's a distraction. You know, I really want to focus on the important things in life like um, yeah. podcasts and family in that order. Um yeah, no, I so so 50,000 people are I- enrolled descending I, I, well, I, you know, the way Pokemon Go goes, they've monetized these special events that happen all over the world, and there's special Pokemon to gather. Uh, Shinies, which are my favorite. I love the Shinies, no matter how mundane a Pokemon is. And that's for your Pokemon people out there. Collect them all, as I like to say <laughs> repeatedly when I'm getting criticized for being an adult man playing Pokemon?
2: You know what? Enjoy. Enjoy the, the things in life that bring you happiness.
1: So I think a lot of people are going to be descending on Sunset Park. I did not. First of all, I uninstalled it from my phone because it was just oh. such a distraction, but I was playing it a lot. But from what I understand, it's just going to be inundated with Pokemon hunters and people are just going to be there and interacting with each other and, you know, trying to catch that uh, that rare squirtle.
2: Hmm.
1: And I think that is going to be a wrap for today. Sonia Scott, thanks so much for joining.
2: Thanks, David. It was a lot of fun. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Our lead producer is Sonia Cho Swanson. Our producer is Layla Mohammed. Our newsletter editor is Scott Dickensheets and our hosts are me, David Figler, and Vogue Robinson. Hey, Vogue! Music is by OG Moose and All The Kimonos. We record the show on the traditional homelands of the Nuwuvi, the Southern Paiute people. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter? Don't forget, it's a holiday weekend, so we'll be back Tuesday morning with more news from around the city. Take care. Leo's just like, what is he doing?
2: Hey, you know what? Anytime before 10 a.m., I don't expect our brains to operate properly.
1: Okay. Here's what Las Vegas is talking about.